0: hello everyone this is Eden and And Kim
1: Kim. hello
2: hi so we're here on we have episode 23 can you believe it yeah it's going (laughs) awesome okay so episode 23 of talk purpose and truth so what are we going to be talking about today
1: uh we have a special guest that we'll announce in a bit a well-known author and journalist who does many other great things and um many other things we're going to talk about today. (laughs) But I wanted to, of course, um, start out with shouting out to the Imperfectly Perfect campaign. That's our our passion to raise global um, awareness about mental health. And so make sure to check out the Imperfectly Perfect campaign on Instagram and on other social media.
2: And we will have lots of things coming up, some events with with the campaign. The
1: campaign started in Australia and they're actually expanding to America. And so they'll be out um, towards LA and Hollywood in all of December, so yes. we'll have some exciting stuff coming up with that. Yes. So, anyways, the other day I was listening to the Howard Stern show, one of my favorites. Mine too. And uh, and I, you know, I pay that extra amount on Sirius just to make sure I get Howard. And Howard is just I learned so much from him, and he's evolved so much as well, which I think is so great. You know, he hasn't just stayed the same. And he was out here recording and filming with all different famous people and he had Demi Moore on and did a really long like maybe two-hour interview about her book that just came out and what I found refreshing about it was that it was really interesting like I had just watched a reality show like a few nights before like you watching, watching a reality show? <laughs> Eden and I may be deep, but we'd like our reality shows, right? right? Uh, <laughs> but I was watching like marriage. It was on late at night and I'm too tired with kids and, and doing all I do. I am too tired to even read in the in, late at night. So mm. I have to watch things that are. Easy on the mind, yeah. Better <laughs> <that are> entertaining, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's an escape with my glass of red wine. So I'm watching. I think it was marriage, marriage, family boot camp or marriage boot camp. Oh, it was family. I've seen that, yeah. And there was, I won't name names, but there were some people on there that were very stuck in their stories. They were very stuck in being the the story of being the martyr. And I'm not excusing or, or making it okay that they went through hell and that they've had tragedies and hardships in their life with their upbringings, but. They were very, very stuck in the story to where it was holding them back in their life. And they were and it was like it was making them be weighed down and, and kind of staying at a standstill in their lives. Whereas what I found was refreshing and amazing and motivating with Demi Moore was she's had God, if you guys read her book, she's had. Her life has been crazy like just hell and abuse and and addiction and just you know even the way her family treated her and how she was brought up is is most people could not come back from that wow. and she has done so much work on herself and you know of course she's not perfect but she was talking about how she doesn't blame them and she forgives them and she finds gifts and everything she can mm-hmm. find gifts and all that she's been through and you know, she's she's even more wise and spiritual and a better mom because of it. It was just so inspiring mm-hmm. to see that different... Like, which one would you want to be? The one that stays stuck or the one that looks at a way to rise above it and actually finds the, the grace and the gifts in it, you
2: know? Oh, definitely. The latter. I, w- I would like to also shout out to I guess (laughs) my in my own life I I deal with that all the time people questioning me like why do you why you do the work so much Mm -hmm. you know and the work meaning the personal development work but it's worth it to me because I I feel better even though I always say I don't feel good or I'm detoxing today but it's worth it because I'm healing every day right and you know I I just feel like you know, there's no other way to do it. And there's no, you can't stop it once you start it. But it there's a purpose in everything. That's the way I like to look at it.
1: Yeah. And I think sometimes it's funny. People think it's easier to ignore things that have happened in their past mm-hmm. or, or issues that they may have and try to blame other people or, or just look at it as their story. Well, my life's just hard. It's always going to be hard. Or that always happens to me. Yeah. And instead, face it because I have found with what happens with just even with people I know or even with clients or even myself is if you push it down and hide it too long it may be not until you're 60 years old but it will come back up and all of a sudden you have physical symptoms or yes. all of a sudden you're feeling moody and sometimes it's stemming from something that was you were five years old and you repressed, repressed or yeah. a breakup at age 18 you yeah. know that you you stuff down and if you do the work you can get it out of you and actually turn it into freedom and, and grace and you know more wisdom to be able to be a better person. So it's I feel like it's worth it, but it is hard. It's hard work. Always, it's always hard. No one's saying it's easy. Yeah,
2: yeah. But well, eventually- it's harder to stay like that, though. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> well, it's always work. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. willing to do it, and I ho- I teach my kids to. Hopefully, they listen to that. I mean, it's so important.
1: Yeah. And I think, and it was interesting because Howard Stern talks about how, you know, he's so open to that because he had, he says the biggest mistake of his life was his divorce. Even though he's very happily married, Mm -hmm. he felt it was his mistake. Like it was his fault. And that's what actually prompted him to go to therapy like three or four times a week. Always. He, he's a big advocate of going to therapy and seeing somebody. And so I feel like that's such a good example especially to people that are closed to that like Mm -hmm. it's okay we're all a mess we all you know are imperfectly perfect yeah
2: so even howard stern admits that he needs therapy right yeah for years Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah oh wow so
1: anyway well we're very excited to have our guest on and our guest is chris epting writer storyteller host and it's it's kind of interesting because i first met chris he interviewed me back when i was doing vegan outreach and and was in this rock group years and years ago and um and we've kind of kept in touch on social media and we're in the same we live in the same community and so i always see all the big things he's doing so chris epting is an award-winning journalist and the author of over 30 books on history and popular Mm. culture his passion for storytelling has made him a sought-after speaker my voice is getting like demi (laughs) moore all around the country and whether he's sharing little-known hidden history about americana music baseball landmarks and more his presentations are always stimulating engaging and just as entertaining as they are educational For 10 years, he wrote a weekly column for the LA Times. He did the same thing for the Huffington Post for five years, Travel and Leisure, The Wall Street Journal, AOL.com, and more. Many of his best-selling books make him a regular on radio and TV all over the country. So he's done, there's so many, he'll talk about some of them, but I'm just going to name a few. Marilyn Monroe died here from the Santa Monica Press, Led Zeppelin Crashed Here, a musical history tour from Santa Monica Press, Roadside Baseball, Adrenalized, which is a memoir with Def Leppard's Phil Collin, who I'm friends with and love him. Um, he has one coming out, Idle Truth with Leif Garrett. So Leif Garrett, Leif I want to get right side. in. Yeah. I was going to correct her if you As didn't. I've learned, it's Leif Garrett. Leif yeah. Garrett, that's, that's much sexier. Um, he's also hosted shows and done speaking and voiceovers and he has a podcast. It, you can tell from his voice. Voice. and so we're really blessed and, and feel excited to have him here and I feel like it's ro- ironic that he's done so much with rock and we record in this historic rock studio. So yeah. welcome Chris.
3: Thank you for having me and this is a really cool space. You feel it when you walk in the air is sort of nice and you know tangibly sort of tinged with uh, the music history here. It's a really nice place. So right. thanks for the invite.
1: Aww, oh, well we're yeah. excited that you're here.
2: So, okay, I'll ask you a question. So all these books that you've written with um, or about these Mm -hmm. rock stars, do you work with them when you do the writing?
3: Oh, yeah. Um, When you do, I mean, co-writing memoirs is something I'm fairly new to. I mean, I've written, had been writing lots of kind of offbeat travel books and history books and things I love, baseball and music. And then the book with Phil Collin from Def Leppard, that was the first time I had done that. I got to know Phil pretty well. We were talking one day and I said, what about your story? And he'd never really thought about writing this book. I said, well, let's write it together. And so we did And I really loved the collaborative process of Mm -hmm. working with somebody. um, When somebody sort of trusts you to to tell their story you know and then from there I wrote a book with John Oates from Holland Oates and that was even more collaborative and there's this, a swimmer named Shirley Babishoff an amazing um, story about uh, the Olympics in 1976 and how she sort of outed the East Germans for doping and all this and that was another really great experience uh, the mm-hmm. book with Leif I've done about six of these books now and yeah so the process varies from person to person but you always work very closely you become I think in effect their therapist in a sense because right. you need to create a, a space where they're going to trust you with everything. Whether or not it gets in the book, I remember especially like John Oates, who's a really good writer. He and I actually, he I would give him writing assignments. This was an example of a really collaborative process. And he would get to certain points in certain stories and say, well, I, I wish I could tell you that, but I can't. I'd say, mm. well, wait a minute. let's." You don't know what's on the, he goes, well, that can't go in the book. I said, but maybe there's something on the other side of it that does. Mm. you got to get through those walls to figure out what you're dealing with. Then you can pick and choose. A memoir isn't everything. you have to sort of You know, pick and choose and create a narrative that makes a good book. Mm -hmm. So they end up you end up hearing things that are really you know in many cases very private and very intimate and then you have to sort of as a storyteller figure out okay what's the best way to represent this person's life. So then I'll go away and write in that person's voice, present to them steps along the way well this is this series of chapters and that series of chapters and then you can work together from that point. So yeah it's very collaborative it's very personal and you are you know essentially marrying that person person yeah. the time that you're working together yeah.
2: so can you tell us the things in the that didn't get in these books
1: <laughs> no i'm kidding <laughs> i
3: could but i'd be violating all kinds of yeah, weird yeah. contractual
1: uh, things i never knew that though like I that's fascinating because i've never looked at it like that like it really is like you probably forever feel like family in some way
3: well you, if it goes right you have to because again you're entering this sort of relationship where it's it's really unique you know and uh, and forever, you you sort of hold those truths that those people share with you. Mm-hmm. And what, what it really did for me, though, that process of working with people is made me realize that everybody has um, some something to offer in terms of story to the world so I actually started a memoir class about three years ago in Huntington Beach Mm -hmm. that I teach and that's been amazing to watch people from all walks of life sort of confront their own truth and get in touch with things they've never really thought about since it happened and so this whole for me it's been an awakening and very enlightening to watch people sort of confront what they've been through and figure out a way to make it um, palatable for the public I love that process
1: Hmm. do you feel like because I know like speaking of Demi more earlier she's said that that was very, it was like, she had to write the book. Like, it's like, that was her therapy. Do you feel like you've seen shifts in these people after? Like, what's an example of, of what, how someone has shifted after?
3: Oh, absolutely. I'll give you one example. When John Oates's book was done, when we finally got copies of it, we were both in Las Vegas, Hall and Oates was performing there and John and I were recording. Um, some interviews that I think were going to be included in like a digital version or something. We got the copies of the book and we unpack it and look at it and it's like, that's always a moment, you know, when you get your book, right? Oh, totally. It's like you've given birth to this thing. <laughs>
2: Maybe I'll know that one
3: day. <laughs> you will. <laughs> yeah. And, and I said to John, let me ask you, are you happy? Do you think that we achieved what we set out to achieve? And he goes, yeah. He goes, but there's something that I never, I saw, never saw coming. And I said, what's that? And he goes, you know, he goes, I love the book. Yes, we, we did what we set out to do. He goes, but my real... My best feeling about the book is that it forced me to remember things I never would have thought of again. Mm. There were things that were that that were stored in the back of my head that Mm -hmm. I never would have gotten to were it not for this process, they would have just been there forever untouched. He goes, so that's really what I'm most thankful for is it really made me go back and think of things and it made me think Yeah, it's a simple thought, but we do pack things away. And until you really sit down and consciously decide to confront those things, you'll never touch them again. And that's mm-hmm. why I think the process is, is important because we have, you know, years, decades of things that, mm-hmm. have, that we have lodged back there. and until you consciously sit and decide to do this, to really kind of unpack your story, there are things you'll never think of again, and that's that's not a good thing. I think it's healthy, and I think it's very cathartic right. uh, to go back and, and think of those things. So this
1: is perfect, because then, like what I was saying earlier, if someone doesn't want to go to therapy, just write your memoir. and <laughs> Get get yeah. a great person to co-author it with you. It <laughs> is a
3: therapeutic act. It yeah. absolutely is, and, I, and I've seen that, whether it's um, John or Leif or Shirley or whomever, mm-hmm. Um, I'm working on one right now that I can't disclose. This was actually two people that are part of the same musical outfit. Oh. And having them sort of confront things that, that they went through together decades ago has been interesting as well to watch their dynamic oh, wow. become sort of um, confrontational and hopefully you know heal through it. And so every, every process is different with whoever you work with. But for me, it's really thrilling because you're guiding them along this path. You're kind of showing them the way of maybe how to do this or how to make it easier. And when somebody trusts you, that's a really great feeling. Mm -hmm. And, And I take that very seriously.
2: Yeah, how did you get that first one?
3: Well, like I said, with Phil Collins, as a music journalist, I had written a lot about Def Leppard, and he and I just became friends, and okay. we would spend a lot of time together um, at shows or whatever, and I would hear, and one there was one day where I forget, it was backstage at a show, and, you know, rock stars, especially on that level, are very pampered and very spoiled, and I think they tend to forget what it's like inside the bubble and how that might look to the outside world, mm-hmm. and I forget what had happened, there was, like I think, a chef preparing something, and I said, you know, Phil, people, nobody gets to live like this, and he says, <laughs> you know, he goes, you're right, he goes, I'm numb to this. This is what I've done since the early 1980s. And I said, well, I think people like to know, A, as a starting point, what it's like back here. Whenever mm-hmm. you go backstage, mm-hmm. you know this. It's a it's another realm back there. And I think if we start with, you know, your lives, I think maybe you take for granted at a certain point. Mm-hmm. And Phil, you know, you're right. He goes, we do. He goes, so maybe that's a starting point for me to start thinking about what I do and appreciating it again. And I think through writing his book, he developed a deeper appreciation for who he is and what he does. And so that was the first one. And like I said, the book did well and we had a great publisher, you know, Simon and Schuster, and it was was wonderful. And it made me think, you know, as a writer, maybe there's another thing for me to explore. I'd written mm-hmm. a lot of these kind of travel books and felt like I had sort of exhausted at least a part of that, in my brain for a while. And you know, then I did Shirley Babishoff, as I mentioned, and I really, really got bitten by the bug of mm-hmm. wanting to do more and more of mm-hmm. this, of help. Because there's something about watching people. Um, Realize what they are and where they've been. There's oh, this okay. moment where you see, and it's like the 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 joy, the sorrow, whatever they go through. The fact that you're all of a sudden innately connected to them is really exciting. And as a music fan, I mean, if you're writing about somebody, I grew up a huge Hall and Oates fan. Yeah. So it's surreal at a certain point uh, to be sort of given the keys to that kingdom, and and to all of a sudden have John, you know, reveal things to you that he had never revealed before.
2: Yeah. I I kind of. Experience something on the same level because I do readings, f- and I've done them for some celebrities, and one in particular that really stood out for me because he doesn't. I've told I told him he meant a lot to me. I'm just gonna say Justin. Yeah, yeah. It was Justin Guarini. He didn't see himself like a big star, and it, that's not how I looked at him. But there was just something special to me about him. I followed him from the beginning because you're kids and you watch the movies. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. So it meant so much for me to be able to get that intimate with him too and get personal and nothing i would ever repeat right but to be in that two hours with him that it will never be forgotten
3: yeah, and you, you you sort of reevaluate your relationship with them as a fan, and, and I'm not you look a fan at,
2: anymore. Right? I, you know, I feel you look at them connected. work
3: differently. And, yeah. No, it's interesting to be exposed to things like that. But like I said, yeah. the, in, in helping people tell their story, that's really where I've sort of arrived now as a writer. Is I love the process of helping people, and that's why the class is an extension of that. Is um, healthy not just for people who take the class, but for me too, because I get to watch them go through that change oh, yeah. of deciding to do it, and it's 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 exciting to watch. Oh
1: yeah, it's probably very fulfilling for you.
3: Oh, very much so.
2: Wow. So who's
1: someone you would love to just like, what comes to mind when you, if you had a dream person to do a book with, you could have anybody.
3: If I had my druthers, okay, I grew up a really big Stevie Nicks fan uh, and I had the opportunity one. a couple of years ago to be in her house with her and I was doing a piece with her on her and spent this amazing evening talking with her. And then once when it was all done, we were just left in the house. It was a film crew and all, so they all left. And it was my son was there actually as wow. well. And we were with her and we're talking and she's, you know, really comfortable and pulling out artwork and going through her closets. It was amazing. Uh-huh. And and of course, as we're talking, I had to bring it up. And I said, you know, have you thought about telling your story? And she says, you know, because that would be one for me that would be a great oh, yeah. experience. And she goes, I've got to wait till I'm like 90 years old when everyone is no longer is on this planet. Oh, it's just too much to reveal. And I which I yeah. totally respect. And I know what she's talking about, but she would be at the top of my list. Um, Bob Dylan would be a close second. Mick Jagger would be the first one, yeah, as this yeah. Rolling Stones freak that I am. <laughs> um, but those would be the big ones. I mean. Jackson Brown I, I, I hope he writes his book at some point because I think you know again as a storyteller musically I think he's got a more and, and just what he's done as a songwriter right. I think is really important there's people that I hope write their stories whether I'm involved or yeah, not yeah. I just want to know you're putting them.
1: it all out there now it's going to manifest so.
3: that's what I like to think sometimes you know but it's weird because I about two weeks ago was sitting with a musician a very well known musician who I again I can't mention yet as part <laughs> of this book project and this is somebody that everybody knows everybody loves this is somebody somebody who as a craftsman is just one of the best. What he was revealing though, his insecurities as an artist Mm -hmm. and where he thinks he is on the food chain, which is down at the bottom, which is crazy to me because if you know who this person is, but you realize his truth is his his honesty and his modesty and this humbleness that's almost you almost feel like it's put on but it's not it's real
1: yeah.
3: and you think how can somebody that good but then you realize that's what they feed off of that's what probably makes them good is the fact that they are they oh they do feel inadequate and they do have anxiety about who they are and mm-hmm. that's what they're dealing with and that's what they're writing about mm-hmm. so they they they're writing from such an honest viewpoint Of somebody who isn't jaded, you know, who isn't been taken over by the business. And that's why their songs are so organic and why people, I think, you know, relate to them the way they do. So it's another example of when you get a chance to have that intimate conversation with somebody. I can't listen to that music anymore and not hear something deeper Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. more provocative about it, knowing where they came at it from.
1: That's beautiful. Wow. And a lot of times they, I know they believe like the stuff we've channeled from Prince as well. Like they believe that if they get help, that their music won't be the same um, or they'll lose some of the abilities. That was the message we got from yeah. Prince. Which yeah. I
3: think there's a lot of truth to. I mean, again, if there, as an artist, you know, you can't mess with it too much. I think if that's what you're channeling and that's what you're writing about and it, and it's working and people are relating mm-hmm. and reacting to it, you know, I'm not sure you'd want to mess with that formula too much, you know, right. if, if yeah. it's working.
1: Yeah, that's what he said. Mm-hmm. But just sometimes they end up so tortured. That's the only thing.
3: Well, look, Mm -hmm. that's an artist's life, you know, pure, true artists and pure artists, um, which I'm not even sure if we, if we have it as much anymore, because um, my daughter's here tonight and she and I recently, I grew up loving Patti Smith growing up in New York, Mm -hmm. you know, CBGBs and Blondie and Patti Smith. And I love that, you know, Claire is sort of appreciating now what, Patti Smith early in the day what she brought as an artist and I think it's frustrating because I don't know that a Patti Smith today Mm -hmm. could really exist or flourish in in this world like she did in the mid 70s Right, with
2: social media with
3: everything it's like I'm not sure there's a place for that the the, the way she would have been judged same thing with Bob Dylan I mean Mm -hmm. again there are certain artists that went against the grain to such a degree I just wondered today if they would have been able to you know, survive on any level because of the judgments and the standards and things we put on people and the pressures and the social media and it isn't about anymore just this sort of organic connection you can make in a little club in New York City reading poetry mm-hmm. and from there, I mean I guess to some degree it still goes on, but it's. I think it would be more of an uphill battle for artists that are that are so committed to what they do, that are so pure um, of heart like I think she is uh, I, I think they would have to compromise today to achieve any kind of commercial success. Is,
1: right. That's what we're talking it's, about. It's it's hard. I know. I see that with Lady Gaga. Like, she struggles with that, you know? Like, the same thing.
3: I like, I, but see, I think she's really managed to do it. I, I
1: yeah, but it's it's rare for that to happen. Oh, uh, it's mm-hmm. very rare. Yeah.
3: But but I think she's true to herself. I mean, I think what she's achieved and the way she's done it and uh, the way she keeps people guessing. I think there's a great artistic arc to her story. Right. You know. And another one who I hope writes a memoir right. someday. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I thought of her right away. Yeah. I feel like like all these energies that we're watching, listening him. Like she channels a lot of. We channel together, but she channels more than me. But we. She gets a lot of musicians that have passed. Michael Jackson. Really. A lot. Yeah. Yes
3: and what do you, what, what do you, what's the sense from him that you get i mean does he from what you get from him is there any sense of the judgment that's been laid on him in his passing or
2: yeah so i think it's not whether or he doesn't want us to look at whether or not he committed those acts it's more i think he's learning and growing up there he's and he's whatever karma he had from here he takes it with him hmm. So, you know, for, there's no judgment up there. There's no, lo- I mean, it's all love. So he sees it all differently now.
1: And she's not saying, he, he never, he's never said yes or no. It's more just yeah. like, it's not about that. Yeah. It's just not
2: because they're, everybody's so caught up in even politics. It's just, everybody's just so caught up in if he did it or not. He's, he's bad. I'm not going to listen to his music anymore. And it's not about that on the other side. Hmm. So it's, it's all acceptance and love. There's no judgment. And, and, you know, in the, in our world, in our society, everybody is just so caught up in blame and excuses and complaining and ego. And, and so it just doesn't, doesn't suit them when they're on the other side. So he just wishes that people would just come from a loving place. And I think he
1: kind of conveyed that when he was here, hmm. but Yeah. Yeah. It's about, it's a lot about love, but I just feel like they were sensing your, Chris's, Chris's like why and your purpose for doing all of this is so deep and like can help so many people because so many people will read books like that and learn from whoever that you're writing about and it can heal them as well. It's it it touches so many more people than you probably ever will know.
3: Well, I'm really anxious to see what the reaction is like to Leif Garrett's book, which mm-hmm. comes out in just a few days. It's called Idle Truth. And, you know, Leif is somebody that had never really there's, there's all these perceptions about Leif right. that everyone has. He was quiet to me. He was quiet? Yeah. In what sense?
2: I don't know. He didn't, he wasn't out, outward.
3: You mean when he he was a teen idol? Yeah. Like he was, I mean, he'd been a child actor, a really good child actor. And so, and he was very composed and I think very mature for his age mm -hmm, back then mm -hmm. as a kid. So he didn't never came off as being like crazy, at least outwardly. Yeah. And, um, when he and I first started talking a couple of years ago, it became evident that he, there was a lot he wanted to get off his chest that he had never gotten off his chest before Mm -hmm. about the reality of what that situation was, his truth Mm -hmm. while he was going through that crazy time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a storyteller, I thought, well, that's, that's an amazing opportunity because it's, it's been bottled up in him for a long time. You know, he's been to the edge many times and back and, you know, people, that have followed that and know what he's been through, and I thought um, you know there's a lot of learning that can come out of his story, not just about what he went through, but like what the, what the industry was like. There's there's a there's a parental story. There's all different. I mean, you talk look, whenever you sit down and do a book, the first thing you've got to identify is conflict. No conflict, no story, right? Mm. You have to have. That's what you build stories around are conflicts and and typically with a subject you can find two or three really key conflicts that you can sort of then you know build upon with life there were dozens Mm, and it really became okay which ones are we going to pick because you really were up against it and you navigated through all these things as a young person which ones are we going to isolate that are going to have sort of the most universal truth and that was one of the biggest challenges was figuring out which conflicts to address and once we figured that out then a lot of things fell into place behind it and i'm really again i think I think people will be a very surprised by some of the stories in the book. There are some really eye-opening things in there that, that expose a big part of what was going on back then. Um, some not so good things, and if anybody could survive what he was in the midst of then, that to me is sort of the, the main takeaway, right. just surviving that's, that story. I
1: think that's what a lot of people look to, look to someone like that as an example. And what you talk about, how you're
2: describing life and all these incredible stories and conflicts, they're surprising. It's just surprising to me that to hear that there were so many of those in his life. But then I started to think about the fact that now with social media, a lot of people who are famous, we hear when there's a conflict in their life. We know about it. But someone like Leif, mm. who was famous before social right, media, right. true. we, so those are the people that maybe will be more intrigued to learn and, you know, to read their book yeah. because we don't know what happened.
3: That's no, you don't. And, 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 yeah. and, and these things were covered up, you know, and, and here's a chance for us to sort of take the lid off of a lot of these stories as well, which we did. Mm-hmm. And like I said, some of them are going to raise eyebrows. Some of the stories in the book are definitely going to, I think, create conversations and, um, May generate some phone calls and there, <laughs> but, but they had to come out. He wanted him to come out, and I think um, it was good for him to, to want these out because it liberates him, I think, and, and, and frees him a little bit all of a sudden hmm. to be able to shed these things publicly and let people know what was really going on. And then um, I think people might look at him in a different light, and Definitely. I think that's awesome. a good thing. Yeah. You
1: know? Maybe it could be a movie. Like the dirt. <laughs> oh, listen,
3: I think his book is very cinematic. There are amazing characters in it that most people are familiar with. Um, but, you know, his story in the in the middle, the first time he and I were talking about this, I said, you know, to me, it's kind of a, it's just a story about addiction, you mm-hmm. know, not just your addictions that are public, I said, but the way the public became addicted to you and the way you were sort of sold Mm -hmm. as a a drug for young Mm -hmm. girls, Mm -hmm. right? And I said, that's a whole different way of looking at it as a story, you know, because there was this very calculated plan to distribute him like that mm-hmm. and it worked but did it really work you know what are the consequences of that and and what were the damages as a result of that and that's what we get into so cool. so that it's is. really there's like I said the stories are incredible um you know there were stories Leif would talk about I said, she want to go there and he's like yeah I do this is the time to do it
2: good and for him it's a
3: good for, exactly and <laughs> it takes a lot of guts to do and not everyone does that when you mentioned Demi Moore's book I think it's great that she went as deep as she did a lot of times um, celebrity memoirs don't do that, and they're really mm-hmm. just a way to kind of—it's almost like a publicist version of what they want to put out there. Mm-hmm, right. But you can tell the ones where people are really honest and really kind of reveal truth and, and try and put it out there, hopefully in a way that people can learn not just about the celebrity but about themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when those books work the best—is when they're us that universal truth that you can learn from and maybe apply something to your own life. Hmm.
1: Exactly. I definitely want to get it. Yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> yeah.
3: You'll have to let us know what you think of it.
1: Okay. Definitely. So, so I have one more question. Um, so what I feel like it's so fascinating. You I really feel that you've been able to have this life of of playing like in a way of doing the things you love. And like I feel like you made sure you created that, like you made sure that you jumped into that. And so how did that all come about?
3: It wasn't easy. When I got out of college, I wanted to be a I've wanted to be a writer since I was a little kid. I had a school teacher who who paid me some praise on a little story I wrote and she changed my life. Oh my God. Fourth grade teacher, (laughs) Tina Rinaldi, who I've, I've I've tried to track her down, haven't been able to find her just to say thank you Mm -hmm. for taking time to do that. So I got out of school and no one's hiring like writers or novelists or anything. So I went into advertising. I wrote and directed commercials for 20 years, which Mm -hmm. was storytelling on a different sort of level. Mm -hmm. And then there were books I wanted to get to and all that. But I have to tell you, honestly, this would not be possible were it not from Wife, who you know as a stay-at-home mom, you know really created the um, the platform and the scene, the scenario where I could go do what I wanted to do. Because when I left advertising, that was I'm not a big risk taker, and that for me was a big risk. Mm-hmm. And I just have this feeling like, no, there are books I want to write, there are things I want to do. Um, that are not taco commercials. You know what I mean? There are stories I want to tell and travels I want to do and all this. And honestly, if someone's not maintaining everything else and keeping mm-hmm. everything humming, that wouldn't be possible. So I think having, you know, somebody, you know, a partner who's conscious of that, who wants you to succeed, I think that's a big part of it. Beyond that, as far as what my part of it was, was just feeling like, you um, You know, there are things I dreamt about as a kid that I wanted to do. And you start to see the time, you know, know, time begins ticking away from you. Right. And I just realized that I think everybody at a certain point should remember Mm -hmm. what they want, what they feel, what they want to leave behind, Mm -hmm. you know, and what they once you're gone, what are the things that will represent you? And I started thinking, well, there are books I feel I could write articles I could do, just stories I could tell that hopefully will live out. You know, my time here that people will pick up one day. It's a great thing about books. I mean, books are forever for the most part. Long after you're gone, I like to imagine somebody in a library, some old musty space somewhere, (laughs) pulling something off a shelf that you worked on 100 years before Mm. and sort of getting into where you were at that point and getting involved in that story and having that story still resonate with them uh, years later.
2: It's your legacy.
3: Well, that's what you have. I mean, as a writer, you can leave behind your work, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that's sort of been my goal. So if that answers it.
1: I love it. Yeah. And I think it encourages a lot of people because you you dared to go for it. And I like the shout out to the. To the wife. <laughs> well, honestly, I mean, again, all men should do that.
3: <laughs> you know, we're not as thankful, and and again, without what 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 Jean did uh, through all those all that time and all those years, it just wouldn't have been possible. And
1: how long have you guys been together?
3: Uh we got married in nineteen ninety one.
1: Okay, wow, it's a long time.
3: And ninety uh, one, almost yeah, 91. thirty years. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. But um, but beyond that, I'm, I'm I you know I always encourage um, you know our kids and, and anybody who goes, I speak at a lot of schools. Um, you get one shot, go do it. Mm-hmm. Someone's my daughter may roll her eyes at this, but someone's going to do what you want to do right someone's going to end up with that so why can't you position yourself to be that person someone's going to do it mm. whether it's writing a book or starring in a film or whatever it happens to be someone's going to end right. up there so work hard and 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 you know outthink and outwork and and you know aggressively pursue what you want to pursue cuz cuz that's how you do it you, nothing happens by accident mm-hmm. and you have to work hard for it and uh, and I love what I'm able to do and I love you know w- what's great about it is the more of this kind of writing you do word gets out that you're a good partner to do these things with, at mm-hmm. least the memoir things. Right. So I've gotten contacted by other people who might have read one book or mm-hmm. that and said, well, how does this work? How do we how if we were to work together, what that what's that like? And I love those conversations because you can really describe this wonderful scenario where you'll be able to talk about whatever you want to talk about, and we can pick and choose what goes in that story and really tell the story that you want to tell. Mm. You know, when I work with people, I'm I'm like a, a pit bull in terms of protecting their mm-hmm. their story and what they want to do because sometimes publishers will say, well, "Yeah, what if we do this?" And it's like, mm. "Well, this is the story we want to tell." Yeah, and it's so, not authentic then. Yeah, so you, you, when you know the person who you're writing about, then it's really important that you honor what they want to do. And, and worry about that first. So that's my priority all along is to make sure they get the story that they want, the book that they want.
2: Then they're safe with you.
3: It's safe, but within that, it's important to point out too that there's you'll have conflicts within the relationship. I mean, it's safe maybe that they trust me, but we all go head to head with anybody I work with over mm-hmm. what this book's going to be and how to make that good book. There's conflict in their story. There also needs to be conflict in the creation of the story. Mm-hmm. Conflict drives story, you know, mm-hmm. from every level. And and if you if we were working on your story today, over the course of the months, we would have dust ups, which we should have, which will make a better book. Something I feel strongly about it, that you feel strongly about, we should go head-to-head over things. Mm. Otherwise, you know, there's no, it flatlines, you know what I mean? So you want conflict, you want tension, I think, at every level. I think that creates better storytelling, Mm -hmm. so very much about conflict.
2: Wow, he's inspiring (laughs) me to do I know own. I read know. my own. <laughs> I hope
3: you do I, I think that's something seriously you what you both do is interesting and and informative and inspirational, and you know again, there's stories that you that you have between you that would be best shared you know we look it's a content driven society today. Yeah, yeah. there's never been more room for stories, good stories than today, you yeah. know.
1: It's really fascinating. Well, how can people find you? And we're excited for the Leif Garrett book and all your other books are available too.
3: Yeah, it's easy. I have a website, which is simply chrisepting.com. And all my books are there, and you know Amazon, of course, they're all listed there, mm-hmm. and um, you know Facebook and Twitter and the usual places like that. And I do a lot of public speaking and things, but but yeah, Leif's book will be interesting, and then a couple of new books that, that are at next year that I again I can't quite talk about yet, but maybe I'll if you invite me back. There's uh, one that I think okay. you'll really be interested in. Okay. But for, for now, it's Leif's story, and I'm super excited. Again, we're we're right against the cusp of it coming out, and it's like I can't wait to see so it in Barnes and Nobles and all over the places. Yeah, again, knowing great. where it came from, there's yeah. a wonderful cover i don't know if you've seen it but wonderful photographer named brad Elterman took that picture back in like 1977 mm-hmm. he was one of leif's like really kind of close photographers and uh the book is just it's a trip back to the 70s but it also um steers you right up to the present as well so a lot of stuff in between
1: very exciting nice okay well thank well, you for so coming. much yeah, yeah. That my was pleasure like, i thank could talk you. to you for like five more hours <laughs>
2: <laughs> i know i wanted to know about the Madonna thing. Can ah. we
1: ask? Can I ask? Him? Yeah. This is our bonus question. Sure. In Ten
2: seconds. No, because you posted something about Madonna. You going, had lunch with
1: Madonna. Madonna yeah, lunch. I
3: had a really weird thing. I was, when I, one of my first jobs in advertising is, you know, in New York City was the, the agency also produced the very first MTV award show back oh. in 1984 co-hosts were Dan Aykroyd and Bette Midler. To show you how times have changed, mm-hmm. those were the co-hosts. Yeah, yeah. Did. No, <laughs>
1: I've watched it ever since, so I remember. And, and my jo- I had the coolest
3: job, which was to basically shadow Dan Aykroyd. I was like 21, 22 years old, help him writing little bits and just sort of, everyone had like weird jobs for this production. And during the rehearsals at Radio City Music Hall, um, things got really backed up one day. And Madonna at that point, it was like a virgin, I think, was going to be released in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't a household name. She had a couple of really good records out and i liked her i thought she was great i thought desperately seeking susan was terrific I love it, yeah. and this is what this is what she was at that point mm-hmm. she looked like that and so when it came time for her to come in and do to rehearse like a virgin which she was going to perform oh, on the she's show
1: famous for that yeah, in yeah. The wedding
3: dress oh yeah they were behind they were running behind and she got really testy with the people back there and this was like it was kind of weird there was no like backstage catering it was very as i remember um very sparse the whole production okay and she was starting to get kind of heated and there was somebody there working on production he says look he says you're says to me you're you know you, you and Dan are working out great he's super comfortable with you can you just get rid of her take her downstairs for lunch here's some, they go great. petty cash and just go take her and just keep oh her busy gosh. for like an hour and then come back and we'll be all set for her uh-huh. he's you can like go he's go charm her you know I don't know about that
2: <laughs> oh right so
3: we so so i go over to her and i'm like hey we're going to go to lunch she goes, well who you know she was right away her guard was up and i said no you don't have a choice this we're going to let's just go come on let's go oh. and kind of fast talk her at a radio city and there was a little restaurant around the corner and we just went there for an hour I I had a and again before cell phones it was kind of funny I don't know this would have happened if this all existed today because we disappeared for an hour I knew we had to be back in like an hour Mm. and we went down there and nobody recognized her she wasn't at that point yet right Mm -hmm. but we had this um really amazing little lunch just hamburgers and french fries and I think she might have had a milkshake, if I remember. But it was talking about music and and the show, and just having this really great freeform conversation. She was once she realized that yes, she was not there was no way out of it's this.
1: Safe.
3: Yeah. Um, then she kind of got into the conversation, mm-hmm. and we, re- we ran over late a little bit and get back in there. So then two nights later, I think at this show, I don't know if you remember seeing her perform this. Yeah. It was oh, very yeah. controversial. Yes. Yes. And I remember being in the wings with Dan Aykroyd, and she's doing like a virgin in that wedding dress, and she's writhing around on the floor, it was really a very erotic performance. And in the front row, um, Prince was there, and and the cars, and Lou Reed, and me and Dan Aykroyd are watching everyone in the front row, the police, they're all there. And every guy there, these are guys that have seen everything and more, right? Uh-huh. And their jaws are just dropped. <laughs> because Madonna's performance was really provocative and, uh-huh. and a real. I think a real game changer. Yeah. And I remember afterwards, she's um, in the wings by us getting out of the wedding dress, chewing gum, like talking like just she had been at lunch the day before, like kind of went out of character. <laughs> and I thought, wow, she's really, she gets it. She knows yeah. what she is out there and she knows how to go out and do that. But off stage, it's like, you know, back to oh, business. She's gosh. just back to being this street girl again. You know,
1: that's so. So I liked her a lot.
3: I thought yeah. she was amazing, okay. and um, so that's kind of a, a truncated cool version of. It. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It really yeah. was fun.
2: Oh, good to hear that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Well, thank you for coming.
3: My pleasure, Eden Kim. We thank you for back. having yes. me. I we'll do this back. again.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we're just. I'm going to talk about a new company that is sponsoring us called Forever Script. So do you have your precious memories located in multiple places and on multiple devices? Are they stored safely, privately, and easily accessible? Are they organized in a way to use them, share them, and enjoy them? How would you like to consolidate all your photos, videos, recordings, and important documents in one safe, convenient, and private space? Forever.com is your answer. They safely store memories for your lifetime plus 100 years. So my friend, Cynthia Striegel, she is the representative for the company. And um, she's wanting to us to introduce this um, to you forever, and she's going to actually guide anybody through this if they need help. Mm. Um, I need it. Yeah, I know.
3: I do too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and um, to learn more, join her private Facebook group called Deja You. So that's D-E-J-A-Y-O-U in quotations, Memories for Life, or check out the company at com, And her last name is spelled S-T-R-I-E-G-E-L. And one thing I just wanted to say what caught my eye about this company, because um, I work with people who um, want to hear from their loved ones who've passed on, and they always um, save the recordings of those people on their phones Mm -hmm. from like a a a cell phone message. So she says that this company will store those for them and so you don't have to keep them all on your phone in a a great way. So it's always in one place. They save photos, voicemails, convert old videos, create cards, gifts, and photo books in time for the holidays. So...
1: Maybe you guys want to check that out for the holidays. It's a great gift. Awesome. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.
0: For more information on Eden, go to EdenSustin.com. For more information on Kim, go to KimLifeCoach.com make sure to follow them on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Talk Purpose and Truth Podcast. If you loved this episode, you'll love every episode. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. Thank you for listening.